1: Alright class, are you ready to hear why cheating in baseball, specifically cheating like my Houston Astros cheated, is not so bad? I got historians to prove me right. What is going on, Bayup Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Insta here, another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports biggest issues. And today, in light of the World Series happening in October, and in light of my Houston Astros and all of you guys hating on my Houston Astros, we are going to talk to a couple of baseball historians. That's right, we've got Dan Levitt and Mark Armour on to talk to us about cheating in baseball. They've got a new book out called Intentional Bulk, Baseball's Thin Line Between Innovation and Cheating. We'll make sure we put the link to getting that book in our episode description, but the book is all about the 150-year history of cheating in baseball and how, frankly, walking that line is kind of as common as walking to first base after a fourth ball. You know what? Without further ado, I'm going to let them teach you the history and tell you why cheating and baseball are both America's pastime. All right, so today we are joined by the authors of Intentional Bulk, Baseball's Thin Line Between Innovation and Cheating. Dan Levitt and Mark Armour. I'll start with Mark just because he's, you know, first in my Zoom screen here. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing very well. It's really uh, kind of a pleasure to be on and talk baseball on an October day. On an October day. We got nice weather here in Texas. And I'll be all... Dan, how are you doing?
0: Good. We got beautiful weather here
2: in Minneapolis. It's uh, <laughs> in the 70s today, which is do, unheard of. Too. Although
1: it... <laughs> The difference is that your home team is still playing. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get full disclosures get this out there. I'm an Astros fan, so a book about the cheating in baseball, we're going to talk to the Astros later, uh, is obviously up my alley. Can we mention fandom a little bit? Like, Mark, who we cheer for? Dan, who we cheer for? Uh, I cheer for the Red Sox.
2: Um, and uh, I will say, having had a lot of postseason action over the past uh, 20 years or so, that the postseason is a lot more relaxing when my team's not there. I've been able <laughs> to like sit and watch the games and just crack open a beer. And it's a lot
1: of fun. <laughs> and Dan, who here you cheer for these days?
2: I'm a Twins fan. And
0: as I'm sure many of the listeners know, the Twins have lost a lot of postseason games in a row. So uh, <laughs> one of these days will break that streak.
1: One of these days when he well, and maybe they can use some of the strategies that you outlined in the last 150 years of baseball. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll start with Dan on this question. I, I got to ask, what was the impetus to write this book? Was it because there's the hubbub about the Astros and the Apple watches and all the things the last couple of years, is it a lifelong of being a baseball fan, but what got you started down this path of writing this book from this angle on baseball?
0: Well, you know, the cheating, there's just been a lot of cheating stories in the last, you know, decade, everything between, you know, PEDs and the sign stealing scandal. And, you know, most recently the sticky stuff on the ball. And we just felt like they were, be they, they, these stories are being treated very discreetly. Each one kind of had its own story and its own moralizing. And, you know, Mark and I are, baseball historians. And we just sort of said, there's context here. And there's reasons that these stories are treated differently. And there's interesting reasons for that. And cheating has been going on forever. Have people views of cheating changed? If so, why? Why are some types of cheating viewed differently than others? So the whole context and the connection between these was something that we just felt hadn't been told before and was an interesting story.
1: Mark, again, like you and I have teams directly tied to this. um yours is a little more historical, but as far as recent history, right um ha, what what about the last or what about the context made you feel like you need to write this book what was what was missing?
2: well, one thing i would i would I would say to answer you and also to pile on to Dan a little bit is that we have written. We've written a lot of uh, historical books and articles in in our our lives and including some together. And the most recent book we wrote, which is called In Pursuit of Penance, was a history, basically history of, of the front office um, and how uh, smart teams have been able to take advantage of you know the changing game, things like the farm system and free agency and integration, and and there there are certain teams that have always been like one step ahead and and have taken advantage of of those of those points in history. So it really had to do with sort of the intelligence and how that has permeated some franchises and not others. And in the in the final version of this book, which came out in 2015, and then we had a paperback in 2017, we did talk about the Astros and the Astros <laughs> as you. No, um, were the darlings of of the analytics crowd um, in in you know five years ago. They were the, you know, the smartest team. They had they had sophisticated people in the front office that you know Jeff Luna was was a genius. He hired all these other geniuses. And it it I, I think it came to us a few years ago when this came out, like maybe is there a connection between the teams that are really smart and hardworking and driving and, and teams looking for an edge, is it, are they often the teams who are, are likely to sort of cross the line? Because you, you mentioned, you mentioned the things with the Apple watch. Well, the, the teams that were most uh, brought up around the time in the years preceding the Astros in terms of using electronics were the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers, they're all the smartest teams right these are the teams with the high powered front offices and you know no one and, and this is a huge exaggeration that i don't I, I don't want any anyone to take take to the bank but you know like we didn't talk about the brute well we didn't talk about you know like bad teams doing this and i think <laughs> it's because they have more important things to concern themselves with, right? They're trying <laughs> to get to fourth place. They're not trying to find this last edge. So everything to, what Dan talked about, which is that this has been going on a long time, and we want to sort of con- see if there's one coherent story here, but also what's the connection between innovation
1: and malfeasance? Well, and you mentioned, and now I'm actually diving into a question I had later in my programming. That's okay. Um, that some of this gets taken more seriously by baseball fans as we get more present, right? Obviously you have like the Black Sox scandal is a whole different deal. Um, but the idea of like, you know, people asked Mark McGuire what's in his locker. What, what is that? You know, and like it wasn't as big a deal until a few years later when it's like, oh, the whole history book's been rewritten. Um, you know, it, like it, it was particularly pertinent this year when we saw Aaron Judge at 62 home runs And there's this weird like feeling around like that is certainly a record, but is it the record? And What asterisk goes where? And those kinds of those kinds of things. Um, Why? Why is it that a Mark alluded to this happening to good teams because this is like a final edge? But B, why is it that there's some like some aspects of this that feel like good teams are trying to get that edge? And some aspects feel like that's going too far, Dan. Like what's the what's the difference there?
0: Well, there, there, you know, there's a number of things that are going on, um, one of which is that we talk about, which isn't really necessarily related to PEDs, and we can talk about that in a minute as well, is that if it's cheating, if you're trying to fool the umpire, a lot of players and a lot of fans and, you know, a lot of people think that's okay. So in the days when if you trapped a ball in the outfield, you held it up as if you caught it, you had the neighborhood play at second base or on the double play, maybe you didn't really step on the base. And I think that, you know, and we, we talk about this in the book, uh, there's, this is generally viewed as okay. I mean, heck, from the time we're all playing Little League, we're told that if we're, you know, if we trap the ball, our coaches are telling us to hold the ball up as if we caught it. So I think that stuff that happens on the field is definitely true. It's, it's the umpire's job. Once the umpire was introduced into baseball in the 1850s and 1860s, really, if, if it was his job to catch you. And if you weren't caught then it was, it was, it was okay. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a penalty. It was a benefit and penalty uh, kind of issue. I think there's other things um, going on. I think one of the things around PEDs versus amphetamines and and we, we talked about this one story from 1951. Um, the first drug scandal in baseball was in 1951 when it turned out that Hal Newhouser in 1945 had been taking Novocaine shots in his shoulder. Neuhauser was, uh left-handed pitcher for the tigers he was mvp that year and actually um led the tiger school world series championship and for about three days there was these headlines like tigers dope their way to world series this came out now six years later in 51 and there was this sense of it quickly died out because there was a sense of what is restorative what brings you back to sort of your natural ability and what is enhancing And I think that we've sort of evolved into that sort of large gray. There's a large gray area there, but where cortisone and Tommy John surgery, where you're moving one tendon in your body to your elbow, that's okay because it's bringing you back to where you should be. And then there's things like steroids that are sort of moving you beyond your natural ability. So I, I think there's definitely sort of this dichotomy that's developed there. And just one other quick comment we can talk about later, but amphetamines by players were generally viewed as um, restrictive it was like the 162 game season was so long how do you get through it and amphetamines are really a way to help you get through that whether or not and now obviously they're treated similarly the steroids with penalties but you know and how you view that is very much an individual thing but as we looked at it amphetamines were never really viewed the same as peds
1: well and and so i'll throw this to mark because one of my questions is about Bluntly, and this is giving my own age away as as a millennial, as someone born in 1991, I don't guess I really had put together that there were other ways to have taken drugs before the PED scandals of the 1990s, right? Like I, I, I don't. Baseball is, you know, obviously centuries old, and I just I didn't think about it as like, oh, this has been things going on forever. Mark, in doing that, why is it why is it that amphetamines are restorative? Like intuitively to me, it feels like you're dialing up focus, you're di- like you're dialing up energy. You're you know like the long, the long haul of baseball, the 162 games is part of the difficulty. So why is that a restorative thing? You
2: know, the, the way this has been treated in the, the, the first, the first time that I heard about a um, uh, couple of decades older than you, I guess uh, at least, but uh, I, you know, the first time I heard about this was in ball four And, you know, the book that Jim Bouton wrote um, in 1970, and and he talked about his teams, not just one team, but all the teams taking amphetamines. And he talked about it in a very jokey way. Like it was largely, you know, went up to the bar last night, had like, you know, six martinis, came in today, (laughs) felt like hell, popped a couple of pills. Now I'm good (laughs) to go. You know, it was definitely treated that way, way by the players. I've never really heard about, and, and, and I'm not saying your question isn't completely valid because I, I don't know, but the way the players have generally talked about it has been more like that. It hasn't been that there hasn't been these sophisticated regimens of like, take this pill on Monday and take this pill on Tuesday. And you have a, a chart of, of like when you're going to peak and spike and everything it's been seemingly a lot more haphazard, um, and there have been studies, you know, about about the this and whether it makes you stronger and, and whatnot. And I think there, it's a, it's, and we talk about that quite a bit in our book. Um, and there, I think there's quite a bit of evidence to suggest that there isn't much to it in terms of what I would consider to be enhancement. Um, that's not to say that you have to buy into what in you know what in, what enhancement means. I mean, if you're hungover and this makes you not hungover, I mean, that's sort of enhancing, that's enhancing your your uh, your your hangover. So I, I don't know. I mean again, I, I think we we try and stay away from the right and wrongness of it, but but what Dan, what we do say and what Dan uh, says, is that, that is this is absolutely what the players believe. Like Tony Gwynn, who was never accused of of any of this stuff, as far as I know, um, and is a guy that was pretty well respected by everybody, said it pretty bluntly. And we use his quote in our book, which is that, you know, as far as the players are concerned, amphetamines are okay. And and P, and steroids and HGH and whatnot are not.
1: Yeah, and, and I frankly I appreciate it in the book that you guys both kind of kept as a history teacher myself, you guys kind of kept your own opinions out of it. And I mean, players opinions are filling it, right. But you're, you're keeping your own opinions out of it. I I think that it's, it's just interesting that like, you know, if we think about everyone thinks of having modern, the best and this and that, and all these, you know, up to date, but theoretically, if someone's drinking a Coca-Cola in the wrong decade, they're getting hyped up as well, right? Like there's just the reality of, of the of the, of the deal there. Um, I have to admit that while I am a history, a U.S. history teacher and I enjoy sports and baseball and all of it, there was a lot in this book that I was like, oh, like, like the amphetamines of the 1940s. I was like, oh, uh, when you were doing this book, Dan, doing this research, obviously you're a baseball, you both baseball historians. Did anything take you back? Like, oh, I didn't realize I didn't put that together. I didn't, Or was it all kind of more like stuff that you already knew that you just kind of put together like a puzzle?
0: No there was a lot of sort of fun new discoveries, which I would tell you it, which is the beauty of doing history is I'm sure you tell the tell your students it's that you know there's there's, there's surprisingly new stuff to deliver, to observe along the way. Um, one of the things and just getting to sign stealing is that it, it was not actually mechanical sign stealing, although everybody felt it was cheating because nobody would admit it when they did it. During the 20th century, there was no rule against it. And there would be, you know, there'd be people would complain about it to the league office and the league office would say, gee, I don't know what we can do about it. Um, there's no rule against it. But then once in a while, if they, if, a, if a manager pointed it out during a game, an umpire would go out and tell someone to stop. So it was this very ambiguous sort of idea around mechanical sign. When I say, I mean, using binoculars, basically from the center field, um, you know, some around center field or the bullpen and then signaling the batters. So that was one of the things that I just found tremendously fascinating is that there through all these controversies um, and that that's another sort of theme of the book. As we try and run some themes through each chapter is a different type of cheating, but we run some themes through. And, and one of the themes is if you have a benefit and you don't have a, a, an associated penalty, that is a, is a deterrent. You will have this sort of chaos and controversy, which we had for many, many years during the 20th century, well, up until really until Rob Manfred ruled on, on, on electronic sign stealing recently, um, you just sort of had these often pop up, you know, whether it was around the, you know, the 51 giants later or uh, on the shot around the world, or, you know, there's just all time, there was just many, many sign stealing uh, controversies throughout the 20th century.
1: So then that ties me back to my other question I mentioned earlier. Why is it such a big deal today if it wasn't a big deal with the Giants in 19? Why, why does it feel bigger? It, it, am I making it bigger because I'm an Astros fan, so I see all this stuff? Or is it, it – I feel like it does feel bigger. Well, I think
2: one of the reasons it's bigger is because, to add on to what Dan just said, they did they did eventually make a rule, right? So Rob Manfred made a rule. He sort of drew a line in the sand, and he specifically even said – this is in, in 2017 – uh, this was after the Apple Watch uh, problem that that came up, um, where he basically said, okay, here's the rule. This is what you're not allowed to do. And if you do anything, any of these things, I am going to punish the manager and the general manager. Um, and part of that, of course, is that he he can't really punish the players. It's It's a much more complicated thing but he effectively did exactly what he said he was going to do. And I think there was a little bit of an enough is enough thing about it because there were all these little scandals that had come up about, about this. And I think in the fans view, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, finally we caught somebody doing this, you know, because there are all kinds of rumors. And I expect that, you know, a lot of it was going on with a lot of the teams. And, um, and I think that, you know, Manfred made the rule. The Astros. I mean, he he essentially, if he had not done something because of the way he drew this line so emphatically, it would have been, it would have been it would have the whole thing would have been neutered. He wouldn't have been able to do anything yeah. ever again, right? Um, so I think that's part of it. Um and I and I also do think, and I know this isn't this is beyond the question you asked, that part I think part of the Astros being geniuses, um really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way um other teams especially but the media the me, i mean the media did not like the Astros because of the the traditional media did not like the Astros just like they didn't like moneyball and they didn't like Tampa Bay and they didn't like any of the teams where they were run by non-traditional people that you know didn't didn't grow up chewing tobacco and giving them you know, the quotes they wanted. So I think that there was a little bit of a, ha, we caught those Ivy League guys. Um, I think that was also part of it.
1: Yeah, if Houston's known for one thing, I guess the Astros really did have some Ivy League guys, but I shouldn't say like the South is not known for its Ivy League folks. Uh, Dan, you were going to object though, as far as like this idea of of Houston and and the science thing, modern in modern sense, being a little different.
0: Well, I I was going to make two comments. One is that just as an aside, Bud Selig, I mean, when there was a sign stealing scandal controversy around 2010, 2011, for a very similar thing where people were I think we were using the, you know, video, not they didn't have the video replay at that time, but using video to try and steal signs. I mean, he said something along the lines of, hey, you know, when I was a kid following the Braves, um, you know, Joe Adcock and Hank Aaron and Eddie Matthews, the stars of the Braves, you know, they used to get, they, you know, people were stealing signs back then. And so I I think, you know, Seelig was a little bit more laissez-faire and maybe even nostalgic about the whole thing. And so that once, you know, so that Manfred really sort of viewed it differently. And I think, as Mark said, I do think there was a lot more conversation around it. The other thing that I would add is that um, the the, the Houston felt, I mean, other people were probably doing some sort of electronic science deal. I mean, obviously the, the Red Sox were doing the thing with the Apple Watch, but the, the Astros just felt a little bit more sophisticated. I mean, they were bringing interns into it. There was a lot more people. It, it seemed there were more people involved in it. There was a lot of, there was a number of players that were involved in it. And so I think that sort of this masterminded, you know, sophisticated part of it, I think had something to do with it too. It wasn't just, you know, so, you know you're, you know, the old batting coach uh, sitting out there in center field waving a red towel or a green towel in some, some subtle way. Um, So I think that was part of it. And then lastly, I would just say that you know the Astros won. You know if they had lost in the division series, uh, you know would we even you know I think this would get a whole lot less publicity. So we talk about the efficacy of stuff. If it works, it matters more, right? I mean steroids work, so that's clearly get gets more than other sort of you know illegal drugs that somebody could take.
1: You kind of answered a question I have later, so I want to go ahead and bring it up because I feel like we're we're on the same page here. In talking specifically about the Astros, I want to get back to spin rates and putting stuff on the ball. I want to get back to PEDs, too, but tabling those for a second. There's a big vibe on Houston Astro social media, Twitter, TikTok, all that kind of stuff, right? And it's basically like Houston's system, you know, Mike Fires goes scorched earth, right? Tears everything apart. And there's this big feeling that like, okay, Houston could not have been the only team doing this. Because it was so sophisticated, there had to be trial and error going on somewhere, right? Like, like you don't just go from like nothing to like this elaborate system. And so somewhere along the way, people are picking up and trading teams. Well, over here, we do this. Over here, we do that. And putting things all together. That also, I think, is a way to like comfort yourself when it's your team in the headlines with negative publicity, right? And I totally admit that like part of it is probably comforting folks like myself, like, oh, it's not just us, right? Um, You seem to think that it was an elaborate step that made it different. Do you think that's because there's similar things happening elsewhere or was, or is it just, it just built itself up? Or what did you mean by that? So I would say that,
2: that the Astros, and this is, this is, this is part of our, our theory that there's a, connection between the innovators and and the best cheers. I think the Astros were just better at mo- almost everything. And this is going to sound flippant, but they were really good at this too. Like, I think they had a better system than anyone else. Uh, I think that they they figured out a, le- a level of sophistication. And, and I know people think about all it is is pounding on a, uh, on a trash can. But of course, that's the least important part of it. The important part of it was being able to run an Excel macro in really quickly, as soon as you saw what the sequence was, typing that in immediately and then somehow getting that to the, I I, I would really love to see an animation of precisely these steps that happen in a certain amount of time. Um, But uh, I don't, I don't think it's that implausible that the Astros were just better at it than everybody else, and that doesn't change the. I mean, I will say this as a fan of of another team that was uh, that was caught up in this prior to the Astros. I don't think that changes the. I mean, I don't necessarily think that that changes the the ethics of it, right? If two people are cheating and one of them is better at it, that doesn't mean that the person who's better at it is 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 ethically worse. It just, it has an, a worse impact or a better impact for them and therefore a worse impact. But I, I don't, I, I think just just like, I think Barry Bonds was better at taking steroids than just about anybody else. He had an incredibly sophisticated program, like Lance Armstrong kind of program. Uh, than like Jose Canseco, who was just shoving needles in his butt.
1: And same kind of question. I'm I'm sorry, but, but um, would you say it was different, better? I I don't mean to make you pass your own. Y'all did a really good job of not giving your own ethical judgment. So I don't want to make you put it on the spot here. Um, But was it different, better? Or was it something that might've been happening elsewhere?
0: Well, my, you know, I, and this is not really answer your question, but I'm I'm generally not a big believer in conspiracy theories because once you have more than two people that know a secret, it's going to get out. Um, (laughs) So I'm, I'm surprised that the Astros sign stealing stayed secret as long as it did, although there were a number of non-attributed um, accusations about it throughout 2018. I mean, the, the athletic article that came out, it, it was unique as Mike Fiers was went on for attribution that this was going on, but there was a lot of sort of anonymous comments about it. My take is that if other teams had something this sophisticated, we probably would have heard something that some player would have leaked something anonymously to a reporter. And, you know, I, I haven't seen anything that, that, that suggested that, uh, that other teams were doing it, um, you know, to this level. Again, I, I don't have any doubt that other teams had some sort of a, of a sign scaling plan worked out. Maybe they were signaling people, one, one of the unique things about the Astros is that was going directly to the batter. I mean, some of the other ones, it had to go to the person. If you had to have a guy on second base who would then be signaled and then signal back to the batter. So, you know, I don't know. Um, my sense is that it probably would have come out if there was some other team that had something like this. But like you say, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe, maybe other teams are just you know, they, they, was kept secret like the Astros did. But again, even in 2018, there was, you know, comments non-attributable um, to, to various other teams.
1: Uh, Mark, you alluded us kind of towards the Barry Bond segment of stuff and the PEDs and all that admittedly, again, back to my age, I'm, I'm 31 years old. So when I think of like the glass shattering around baseball, I think of PEDs and looking back in the McGuire Sosa years and, and like, kind of re- retroactive, like, oh, man, it was crazy that all of a sudden we had Barry Bonds go from this like skinny kid to like, boom, jacking up 60, 73 home runs. Um, I I have to ask in, in doing this, because I felt like that was fairly well covered for around a decade, 15 years in, in doing this book. Was there anything that you uncovered that you didn't know before? Again, you're all both historians. Anything that was new or enlightening on the PED front from the 90s and early 2000s?
2: Uh, I wouldn't say too much. I mean, like there's been several highly acclaimed books that have been written about that period, um, that covered it pretty well. And, and we, we, we use those as sources for the most part for what we did. We tried to tie together the chronology. I think if you live through it, you don't necessarily see the whole picture of what's actually happening as well. So I do think, I do think that, you know reading the chapter that we wrote about this is would probably help even people who lived through it to sort of remember oh yeah that's that happened first and and you know why did they have testing what was it that caused that to happen because while it's all happening it just seemed like the news was kind of hitting you like a battering ram but uh and it and it wasn't really inevitable that the story would play out the way it did but um you know that we eventually got to 2004 where um, where, uh, you know, they had testing and then the whole, the whole story then was completely different at that point.
1: Dan, same thoughts. Um, was there anything, I mean, again, you're a baseball historian, so you might, and you were paying attention during the time. So maybe the answer is no, but was there anything new or enlightening about this as you're going through that section of what feels like the first time I recall glass shattering around baseball?
0: Yeah, I don't know if this is anything sort of all that revolutionary, but I, I would say I was sort of surprised at sort of how important the uh, threats from Congress were to get testing. Um, I think it was clear when, when and I, maybe it was clear to a lot of people at the time too, but I think just when you go back and and, and look at the record, it's clear that it, without sort of the threats of congressional, you know, they, they were talking about in, you know, 2000 and three or four, I don't remember the exact year, but, you know, appointing a federal drug czar for professional sports and had baseball not agreed to some kind of testing, we may have seen something like that. So I think that was, um, you know, that was, that was certainly one of the things that I hadn't sort of fully internalized at the time.
1: Well, and I feel as, you know, this book comes out in 2022, you know, as fate would have it, we have a guy Jack 62 home runs over the course of the year and he is a giant, but Aaron judged by all intents, uh, all understanding so that he is a very clean baseball player. And, and I don't mean to insinuate anything else. Does that kind of shade? Do you feel like you, this actually shades one another that your book coming out in 2022 outlines all the way people have cheated for 150 years? And then meanwhile, we've got a guy that out here, he hit 62 home runs like the next highest I recall was like 40. Like like, like the gap is astronomical right there you have a good season and just if you just hit the gap itself right um and so it, does it feel like it you were like paying any extra close attention to the fact that Aaron Judge got 62 either in a positive or light or in a skeptical light because the glass shattered in 20 in the 2005 or, or anything like that or is it just is it just it's an, it's another number it's just another American League number
2: I think uh, it's I think it's kind of another number I I, I do think it's Interesting because, um, you know, baseball is 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 flooding with numbers, and that's something we all have to take very seriously. And we all think, and this, but there's two sides to that. I think there's there is the side where everybody is keeping track of things like 20 wins and 100 RBIs and 50 home runs and all these sort of counting stats that are very romantic to all of us. Uh, still, and then there's the sort of the more sophisticated numbers where people are putting stuff into context in terms of like, well, how, what does this number actually mean compared to your know, your peers? And you get things like war and ops and all that stuff. Well, or, um, th- what I've discovered with judges, you know, you can make the pro judge case without resorting to the PED argument because. Of sort of what you just said, That's like what if you just figured out like the top ten home run hitters in the league and figured out how Judge compares to to them, and he did better than Barry Bonds, right? Uh, because Barry Bonds had a guy hit sixty six the year that he he broke the record, right. and he had you know he had somebody else had sixty two, and he had somebody had fifty eight, and so you can sort of make that case and just say, well, I don't know exactly what happened, but Judge is sort of dominating the home run in a way that other people haven't done this since Ruth. Um, And I think I was kind of trying to get people on Twitter to sort of talk about it that way, instead of getting hung up in this drug story, which I'm kind of tired of talking about, because (laughs) everyone already has their
1: position. (laughs) <laughs> and um, as a 31 year old we've been talking about it for 30 years.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And we know we know what everyone's position is and and I I actually don't have anything against anyone's position, right? Everybody all the all the arguments I heard in this judge thing were all reasonable. I just don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> anyway, sorry Dan. What what are you going to say? Well, I was just
0: going to give a little bit more of a flip answer that any time um sort of stuff around cheating conversations around cheating come up uh, whether it's you know how many home runs is the record or sticky stuff I think hopefully it's good for the book so uh,
1: (laughs) well and and I have to say obviously y'all do a great job looking at the entirety of baseball you go back much much further than the recent stuff but you mentioned sticky stuff and I feel like obviously we had PEDs and then we had sign stealing and watches and cameras and trash cans but in the last like Eight or ten times we had, you know, touching one another's ears to figure out how what stuff is on our uh, super shiny, how, how much of it's sweat, how much of it's not sweat. Um, the sticky stuff, the spin rate of the baseball is the talk of the town lately in this category or in, in looking at cheating here. Um, Dan, when y'all started this project, did you have any idea that would be where you're ending the project?
0: Well, it, it became, I mean, one of the interesting things about it is it was sort of the most recent story when we were you know writing this book in the, the majority of the book in, in, in 2021 although we did you know have a little time to write on it this spring and the the interesting thing to me about the, the sticky stuff is how it is part of the innovation story. So when right now um, the, state, the spider tech was invented about a dozen years ago by folks by by the world's strongest men competitors. So there was a couple of guys in the way you try and carry these giant Atlas stones and spider tack was to help you rip these stones better. And you marry that with sort of this high speed video. And all of a sudden you have this ability to sort of create pitches that are almost unhittable, which is why, you know, in 2021, everyone, we realized baseball realized they better crack down because all of a sudden this wasn't, you know, Whitey Ford for the Yankees putting. You know, Vaseline on his fingers, and you know, firing it to Yogi, and, you know, and you're saying, Yogi, how did that thing break? You know, now we're looking at much more sophisticated ways of doing it, and I think that both the, sophi- the, the both the sophistication itself, I think, made people take notice, and then, um, at least as importantly, again, was the efficacy of it. You know, all of a sudden, it wasn't like a spitball might be a really good slider. Now, all of a sudden, what you're doing with this stuff is almost unhittable.
2: you you probably remember when there was an, there was like a no hitter every two weeks at the beginning of the 2021 season. Yeah. Um, And I I know some of that's fluky, but it was getting a little bit old. Right. I feel like Uh no, no, is supposed to be special. And we had
1: eight, I think through mid June or something like that. Um. And, and so Mark, like did same kind of question. Did you have any idea that when you started this project sounds like in 2021, Did you know that by the book coming out in 2022, it would be, again, we're talking about it in playoff games. They have umpires rubbing sweaty ears to see if that's really sweat or not.
2: No, of course not. Um, we didn't, didn't really see that comment. Um, and as a matter of fact, the, I don't think we, well, I don't think I thought that the sticky stuff would be as central to even the book that we were writing uh, because I think sign stealing we, we assume would be the most recent thing on people's minds. Um, but this blew up in 2021. And we had started, we actually started working on it in 2020 and it wasn't as big of a story yet, but um, no, I don't think I thought that, but when it happened, it was interesting that Buck Showalter in the dugout was well, after the game, when he was talking about like, you know, they asked him like, why did you, why did you have, have them check, uh, Musgrove. And he said, well, we just, we just, you know, we, we had reports about his his spin rate being like higher than it had ever been or something. And that is a term that Buck Schalter would not have even known, you know, five years earlier. Right. This is like, I mean, he, he would have, I mean, he knew what spin spin rate meant, but he didn't, I don't think this was a brand new thing for baseball dialogue. And the fact that it was in the dugout, not just nerds on the internet, um, that you know, Buck Showalter is a pretty old school guy. That he was immediately able to, and probably with prodding from his baseball ops people, make the correlation between high spin rate means sticky stuff on the ball. Which is yeah. what, which is what. Not to in, in, invoke uh, a controversial name, that's what Trevor Bauer told us in 2019, that these were directly related, that there was no way that you could achieve the spin rates that like Garrett Cole was getting at the time without cheating, that it was impossible. And I'm not saying that Trevor Bauer knows everything, but um, he knew a lot about this issue. and, uh, And I think that it was interesting that Buck Showalter at least believed that there was reason for suspicion.
1: Dan, um, you know, the through line of this book is the definition of cheating, and I underlined it in a couple different places, but in the opening, uh, the introduction, but it's a through line of the book. It says, a good way to determine if something is considered cheating within this culture is whether the perpetrator would deny it if confronted. So like, does the person deny that what they're doing, because there's an acknowledgement that you're doing something wrong when you deny it, right? In each of these cases the PEDs, so adamant denials, right? Except for Conseco, I guess, but adamant denials, right? The science dealing thing, there was a, a denial, denied, denial until it was finally published that there's no way to deny this anymore. And even then some players are saying, I didn't do it, I did do it. People denying what they're using of the, of the greasy, sticky stuff on the baseball now. Does this, does this just mean all of it is? And I feel like we're never going to get to the point where people are just owning up to the things they're doing wrong, right? Like we're never going to get to the point where you're going to have people admitting like yes i do this to get an edge yes i i i you know take speed before baseball games to get like i need that edge right or is are we ever going to get to a place where people are more open like yeah this is highly competitive i get paid to win and i'm trying to get that edge
0: i think i mean i think we're there but people just don't i mean people are never going to admit to wrongdoing because of the penalties but you know, I, I George Bamberger, the old manager of the Brewers, he was a longtime pitching coach, man the manager of the Brewers, manager of the Mets, I mean, he he really said it great. I mean, he had a great quote. He basically said, we don't play baseball. we play professional baseball. <laughs> and we, you know if there's rules and consequences, uh, and there's rules and there's consequences if you break them. And if you're a pro, you look at the rules and the consequences we're not looking at if it's right or wrong. And he went on to say, you know, if you're playing cards with your friends and you cheat, you're a cheater. If you throw a spitball, you know, you're a professional trying to support your family. And I think that is very much, and and, you know, there was nothing unique about Bamberger and this was from the 1980s. This is not something recent, but I think this idea that you look at it, it's more like, you know, if you're driving too fast and you get a speeding ticket, you feel like you were doing something morally wrong. I mean, if you're going to go 80 in a in a 60 zone, you're not like, is this right or wrong? It's, am I going to get pulled over in, in many cases? And so, and I think in many ways, that's the way the players look at it. They aren't looking at it. And, and the general managers who break the rules, we have multiple chapters on, you know, GMs and front offices breaking the rules too. It's, what you know what are what are the benefits? It's much very much a cost benefit. you know what are the benefits and what are the costs if I get caught? It's not in many ways it's not a morality
2: issue. Yeah and, and there are there are th- kinds of, of, cheating which we kind of argue are in a different category of cheating which which players do admit and I'll give an, uh, examples like uh, pretending to get hit by a pitch. When you actually didn't get hit by the pitch, you know Derek Jeter did that near the end of his career, and and this was um, it was recent enough that there was social media around to argue about how bad of a cheater he was. So I, Derek Jeter's a cheater. I can't believe he did this, and it was very clear that he did it. And after the game, he admitted that he did. So this is an example that we that that based on uh, what Dan just said, where we would just say the players think this is the way that you're supposed to play, right? The other team would do it too. Um, the people that hate it are the people that don't like the Yankees or are rooting against, You, know, if it was against your team, of course, he's a dirty Latin think, but you want your guy to do that. So that's the kind of cheating we talk about as the players think it's okay. Everybody, everybody within the game thinks it's okay. Even umpires, they don't want you to do it because it makes them look bad but they, they don't, they're they not trying to kick you out of baseball or anything for it um there was a play a few years ago where where um todd frazier was playing for the mets third baseman he went into the he went into this the crowd to catch a foul pop-up from um uh, uh, against the dodgers he reached into the crowd to help and then he came out with the ball umpire called the guy out threw the ball back into the crowd ran off the field and then it turned out if you watch the replay that in fact he didn't catch the ball at all it landed in in on one of the seats in the front row and he picked up a ball it wasn't even the same ball it was a rubber ball and he basically got away with it and after the game he laughed about it you know he didn't say like how dare you accuse me of cheating he said yeah i just picked up a ball it was hilarious and you know and then that was only 4 years ago so I mean, I think that if you tell that story to, you know, your friends or people that don't know baseball, they would say, God, he's a cheater.
1: But within the game, I don't think anybody thought he was a cheater. They thought he got away with it. Well, and it's a gamesmanship thing. Like it's like framing a pitch, right? You you pull it up, you, you make it look like a strike. It's trying to deceive what's going on. I, my last question for both of you is, And this is the book is called Intentional Balk. It's available at your local bookstore. You can go to intentionalbalkbook.com. The link will be in the description of this episode as well. But cheating to some degree of this gamesmanship thing, I mean, we had the Pats and Deflate Gate. I'm a Houston Rockets guy. James Harden spent a chunk of his career here deceiving officials all the time, (laughs) right? That's like like it's his marquee thing, right? Um, You you see it a lot in, in hockey as well. Is this just kind of a, you mentioned the start of the episode, Mark a highly competitive athlete doing highly competitive things and finding every single edge. Is this more nuanced than that? Because baseball, as far as relation to other sports, is this, you know, American pastime, 150 year old game. Uh, whereas like the NFL, frankly, the last 30 years feels dramatically different than the previous 70. Um, Dan or Mark, either one, is this something that like an idea like this book can this be talked about in other sports or is baseball unique because this is happening in baseball go
0: ahead dan okay so a couple things and we we, we both have a lot of thoughts on this so we could go on for a while but i i would say a couple things one is baseball is not unique. I mean, in any competitive sport, I mean, look, we we see the chess, the the scandal around chess cheating. There was recently a scandal around competitive fishing and people putting weights in these fishes. There was this, you know, a fishing tournament. So I think in any competitive environment, people will try and, and, and cheat. I think sort of two, two comments. One is I think baseball is more complicated than other sports. That just the rule book is bigger. There's more stuff going on. I mean, in basketball, there's only sort of so many things you can do. Um, you know, you're in a fairly confined area and, 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 but in baseball, there's just, you know, you have a, I don't know what it is, a 300 page rule book. And and so there's just more plot of areas where you can try and get away with something. And then just going back to the gamesmanship thing, as I mentioned earlier, I, I think, gamesmanship I would consider generally when you're trying to fool the umpire and I think people view that as generally okay that it's the umpire's job or the other team's job to to sort of point it out and if the umpires don't catch it then you got away with it and I think it's stuff that's done behind the scenes whether it's backcorking which we have a whole chapter on that generally gets viewed different but to me the gamesmanship side of the world which is trying to fool the ump is generally viewed as as something that if you can get away with it it's it's treated as legit.
2: Yeah, and I th- I think I think to answer your question um this is not a baseball thing this is a human nature thing. And I think I think these are very competitive people and there's something very tangible to be gained from giving 101% where that 1% is the bad 1% and I I think that I think this would be true in other sports too, where it can happen. It's certainly, there's been cheating in golf. It's a lot. I mean, but some of these things are a lot harder now than they used to be. Um, But uh, I think that people that if you play golf, I don't, or if you play pickup basketball, you've always played with that one guy who's like incredibly competitive. Like he's more competitive than you and your buddies. And that's the guy that is, you think like he does not he would go he would go one step too far probably and and the other thing is I mean we both love baseball we love baseball as much or more than we did when we started working on this it's not we I certainly didn't come away thinking baseball players are bad and I also don't think that baseball players are worse today than they did before I mean a lot of the ways cheating has happened I think it's been there's a sort of an opportunity I mean I think um if Babe Ruth had 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 the ability to take steroids, my guess is he, and I'm not trying to impugn the Babe. I'm guessing he would have. I'm guessing that Joe DiMaggio would have stolen signs. He probably did. Most of the teams of his time did. I think, um, I think if, uh, if, you know, Walter Johnson didn't, you know, had, had gotten, needed to, a little grease on the ball he didn't need to because he was walter johnson but if he had needed to maybe he would have done it too i don't think anything that's going on today wouldn't have happened with a previous generation of athletes in the golden age or whatever and i don't and i think that that's true of hockey and basketball and i think it's true on wall street i think it's true with in real estate i think it's just like people that are competitive and are trying really hard and I'm not saying that humans are bad. I like humans, but I just think that sometimes you just go a little bit too far, and and I think that's what baseball has an is an example of.
1: It is October, the end of October, and it, baseball is very much in the air. It's on primetime TV very nicely. It's a wind up. This World Series in the season, and trying and to figure out who wins this whole thing. The book is Intentional Balk Baseball's thin line between innovation and cheating. And you can find it at intentionalbalkbook.com. Uh, Dan, Mark, before we sign off, where can people find you to talk more about? Well, I saw so and so touching the back of their ball cap, and that looks like cheating to me. Where can people find you to talk to you? I uh,
0: appreciate it. we There's uh, links to both of our websites and our email addresses or contact on our website, which, as you said, is book dot com you can get the book there or you can contact us through that
2: yeah we're also both on twitter my handle is uh is mark armor oh four and that's probably where most of the chatter around this book is, is or around cheating takes place so um i'm pretty active there um when there's fun baseball stories
1: so you can certainly reach out to me there for sure. Again, the book is Intentional Balk, Baseball's Thin Line Between Innovation and Cheating. This is uh, Dan Levin and Mark Armour. Thank you so much for coming on today and talking about the book. Uh, I- I've enjoyed the baseball season and frankly, it adds a different dimension to appreciating the baseball seasons. Thank you all so much. Take care. Our pleasure. All right. So, I think we can all agree that the Houston Astros thing is not that big a deal. It's just very common, right? That's what we got out of that? No. The production, I me mean, that might not be what you got out of that anyway if you want to go check out the book yourself and see what you get out of it the book is called intentional bulk baseball's thin line between innovation and cheating you can find the book at intentionalbalkbook.com there's a bunch of things and links on that page but it'll take you to a nearby local bookstore where you can find the book for yourself again you can find dan levitt at danlevs1 on twitter or mark armor at mark armor 4 on twitter you can also find me and all my personal stuff on social media at painsworth512 p-a-i-n-s-w-o-r-t-h-5 one, two, on Twitter, Instagram, etc. I'll be posting things like every episode of the show, things that I am writing. The latest project I've been working on with Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On Cougs, puts out Houston Cougar content every single day. So make sure you check that out as well. Download, subscribe, do all the things to help out that podcast this podcast has social media as well you can find it at fn sports it's f-i-n-s-p-o-r-t-s number two all one word you can also find us on instagram at f underscore N underscore sports that's at f underscore N underscore sports and each of those social media handles has a link tree in the bio to where you get to all of our sponsors and that's yeti in the clutch.com the beard struggle etc from there, you can also get to our merch store. This is in the same link tree. You can get to our merch store, which we sell t-shirts, hat, hoodies, tank tops. And all of those purchases help out various charitable causes. In the month of October, i promoting our Flunk Cancer t-shirt. And all money goes to Susan G. Coleman. So make sure you help support the show and a great cause by doing that. If you want to support the show for free, you can do this by giving us a five-star rating, leaving us a positive review, download us on a couple different platforms. And whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys.